Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast, episode number 54. A little earth, wind, and fire to lead us in. September, one of my top 10 songs of all time, easily. Now, it's my birthday month. It's my wife's, Jen's birthday month. I've always loved September. Uh, Loved going back to school as a kid, not because I was a, a good student and a nerd, which I will admit I was, but I saw it as a rebirth, even more than New Year's. Two and a half months in the cool chamber, coming back with a new backpack, new clothes, a couple inches or a few inches of height. I will also admit, though, I was a late bloomer, and I didn't put meat on my bones until college, and I wasn't really, I was, it wasn't really anything but short until my senior year of high school. So I wasn't a geek, but I certainly wasn't cool in high school. But I am wiser for the wear. So September, as I said, just a great month all around, great weather. Um, Jen's birthday is just actually a couple days away. Uh, she picked out most of her gifts uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so not no surprises on those. But the one thing that I was going to try to surprise her with, I caved under questioning and told her. All right? now you might be asking, how the hell could you be so weak, Chris? Well, she did this sound. Now, that was only a few seconds, but she did that for about nine minutes straight. All right? I have the video to prove it. Now, she doesn't like surprises. It's in her DNA. If she was the type of kid who would find Christmas presents wrapped in unwrapped pieces to reveal them before Christmas morning. Uh, so <laughs> that's just kind of, kind of the person she is. But with that, I do have a few small surprises still in store for her that are more of the sentimental rather than the material nature. And this is really the first year Eloise, who's now four, is really taking an active interest in birthdays and understands them beyond just singing it and a cake. So we have a, uh, a little daddy-daughter field trip planned uh, for tomorrow to pick up some items. And then on top of that, we have a small outdoor group of friends at the local restaurant, at a local restaurant uh, that we went to actually um, with some other friends a few weeks ago. Talked about it on the show, Parents' Night Out. Now, parents' dinners are something that really have come into the forefront in recent years, obviously. But there is something very rewarding about them. And this camaraderie that isn't matched, even in the best dinners I can think of going back a couple decades in college or in my 20s, it's just this camaraderie that exists. And I said this before, but like everybody just you know has had a hell of a week. They're trying to balance life, kids, work, and everybody's just chomping at the bit to get that first drink. And there's a heavy weighting on just food and drink quality on top of overall experience. And parents all savor each and every drink with, some, with kids at home. Um, unless it's a rare circumstance like a milestone or vacation, but we aren't really we, we aren't throwing back ten drinks. So it's a few drinks, maybe three, four, five, depending on the person. Um, but you just savor all that stuff. And um, one thing I, I do like, especially as friend groups crystallize, is to think about you know what the dynamics going to be like. Whether we are the you know if, if it's, especially if it's a group dinner, are we the fusion point of the dinner? Or not somebody else bringing the dinner together. In this case, we are the fusion point. It's one of our birthdays. Now, this dinner is going to feature two dude friends um, and these guys. And there, there, there might be an, a, another guy or two joining, but the, uh, the two guys that are going to dinner, they're Ivy League guys. One guy is a Harvard guy, one guy is a Yale guy, respectively from undergrad. 
Now listen, humbly stated, similar to me acknowledging in the past, all right, I'm a good looking guy. I mean, people can just kind of say things and be honest about certain things, right? But I'm also, I think, a smart guy. Um, now, my worst, I was a, as a student in like parts of grade school, maybe middle school, I was a B student, B, B or B plus student at my worst. And, but generally, I was a high honor student. I went to a good university and I run in a smart crowd. And usually, though, I don't feel intellectually inferior or superior. But here, shit, man, I already had fish twice this week. But maybe I have to eat it three, three meals a day because I better eat some brain food to keep up with these guys in the conversation. But uh, all jokes aside, you know, I am 70% serious here. I'm very much looking forward to it. Should be a good time. Again, uh, the forecast here in mid-September at night, it's in the high 40s. Uh, coming up over the weekend and break out the heat lamps, break out the, the light jackets. You know, I hate the cold, but I really, I mean, everything like late summer and early fall, the best stretch of weather to me in this part of the country where, where we live in, in the Northeast is September 1st to Halloween. It's the best weather. Not too hot. Humidity, humidity is down. Um, and it gets nice and cool and crisp at night. kind of wakes you up. And I don't really start bitching about the cold weather until January. So uh, should be a good weekend ahead. Looking forward to it. Um, and uh, some, good, some housekeeping coming up um, as we have less than a third of the year left. So I'm going to be very thoughtful as I release episodes for the rest of the year. Um, I know with COVID, my frequency has dropped from weekly, but I'm going to give you at least a bonus NFL picks episode every single week and put out regular episodes about every two weeks, give or take. Now, with the election just under 50 days away and this pod being multidisciplinary, uh, but with heavy leans towards sports and politics, you can no doubt expect some extra coverage. Now, I'm going to cover three presidential debates as well as the VP date debate spanning from um, September 29th, that first debate with Biden and Trump, through 10:22. Also, I will be doing segments live throughout the election night with my unfiltered reaction to how events unfold. And we don't know what the hell to expect with COVID and ballot timing and results and everybody's shell-shocked who hates Trump from 2016. Um, I'm going to release those segments probably the following day on 11-4. Um, I'm also going to take a bunch of straw polls between now and then and the election, and, and, and one of those is, is you listeners. So um, I'm going to reach out. If you listeners are interested in leaving a message on who you are voting for and why, in a one-minute message, please reach out to me. Now, in this episode, though, I'm going to go very light and fun for a change, mostly. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite movies, the 1984 hit The Karate Kid, starring Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. I'm going to break down the movie in a fun way, uh, previewing a show format I will be piloting soon where I do a humorous dive with a, a friend on a movie. And The Karate Kid, this episode is going to be me solo. I'll then give some thoughts on the spinoff show Cobra Kai on Netflix. Uh, and we will move to politics and, and Trump's terrible transmissions and McEnany's misspeakings. Then takes of all temperatures. Totes, baby. And again, uh, the NFL portion of the pod is going to be broken off to a separate episode released in the next few days before week two. So buckle up, episode 54, we got a fun one for you. Here we go. So that's a little Bananarama, the 1983 hit Cruel Summer, featured in the Karate Kid soundtrack. So a couple weeks ago, Jen, Jen was finishing up some work after the kids went to bed, and I decided to, while she was doing work on the couch downstairs, resume watching The Karate Kid 
which I've seen dozens of times going back to childhood. And I had it on DVR from earlier this year, maybe even 2019. So somewhere between Mr. Miyagi's bonsai tree cutting and Daniel getting his ass kicked at the Halloween party, Jen got hooked in. And she watched the whole movie with me and absolutely loved it. She really loved it. You know, I've been begging her to watch it literally for like 10 years. And she wants to see two and three with me. And, um, you know, every age bracket in life, um, I've been all in so far. It has stood the test of time for me. So for this movie, I'm going to tease a new show format in the form of a segment, in an abbreviated form. So I'm going to run through um, a basic show format of what this would look like. So the first thing, how would you describe this movie to your significant other if they came in and, and you were watching it in, in 30 seconds or less. So I'm going to see if I could come close to that. All right? Ready? All right. I actually had to do this with Jen many times. I, I casually watched this in front of her. So here's how I would sum it up. Italian-American kid Daniel LaRusso moves across the country with his single mom from Jersey to California uh, where he falls for a rich girl with a karate champion ex-boyfriend who belongs to a dojo with a former Vietnamese non-veteran lunatic who empowers his students to bully and intimidate enemies. He gets his ass kicked trying to be too bold. Then a Japanese senior citizen and maintenance man in his apartment complex saved his ass one time from being in a coma, befriended him, taught him karate to stand up to the bullies and defeat the main adversary in the movie, Johnny Lawrence. All right, that was pretty much 30 seconds. Now this movie came out in 1984. It features Ralph Macchio as the lead. He actually grew up in my town, by the way. Um, and Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. And then you have Elizabeth Shue, uh, 80s sensation, early 90s even, as Allie, um, Daniel's love interest. And then you have William Zabaka, who plays the number one antagonist, Johnny Lawrence, which I mentioned. Now, that, that's the first category. How would I describe it? Who are the main people involved? All right, what do I like about the movie? Well, there are very few lulls in this movie. Right? The training scenes when Daniel is cleaning shit at Mr. Miyagi's house are frequent, but they're short. And outside of that, it's confrontations with Johnny and his gang, courting Alley, or just building his own karate skills. And of course, the, the best scene, which I'll get to, is the, the karate tournament at the end. Now, I love that it's in California, my favorite state, in spite of living in New York. And I love the golf and stuff scenes, especially when the weather is warm enough to go friggin' water sliding before Christmas. Uh, the early to mid-80s music has some great tracks, but the songs really are perfectly selected for their respective scenes. And it's a coming-of-age story that uh, in movie time happens over the course of about three and a half months of the school year. Uh, Daniel grows not so much in age or stature, but um, in going from a scrawny amateur to a black belt, somehow in, in a very short, unrealistic amount of time, nonetheless. But my favorite part is the characters, mainly the villains. And while Cobra Kai is essentially an Aryan dojo, each of these guys is very distinct. The characters are great. Um, there's more than just Johnny Lawrence in the movie, which I'll get to. Uh, there's a lot of good characters that, that are part of Cobra Kai. So that's what I, that's what I like about the movie. So I, I talked about what my 30-second elevator pitch would be. That's what I like. Uh, the next, the, the next kind of uh, rhetorical question or the question I'm going to ask myself about the movie, high level, where's the movie flawed? All right. So do we really think that even if Bruce Lee was the martial arts instructor, that a five foot nine, buck fifty soaking wet kid would be able to take down a multi-year karate champion 
who has four inches, probably 40 to 50 pounds on him, and just became and he became a black belt in a matter of months. No, unrealistic. But uh, the story was still great, and I, I and we all buy into it for the for the for the purpose of of the of the storyline and the plot. Now, also, there is a lot of cross adult kid blurred lines in this movie. Now, Crease, the for, the the dojo instructor and the former Vietnam vet, um, Miyagi and the Cobra Kai students are all kind of interacting um, in some ways in, in very troubling scenes. So these kids are probably seventeen. Maybe going on 18. And we just shrug off the assault that put one kid's arm in a sling for Mr. Miyagi. Uh, and then, even if it was self-defense. And then at the end of the movie, or it was a scene that was originally intended for one that went to, to Karate Kid 2. We have you know John Kreese uh, freaking choking out Johnny Lawrence in the parking lot. And then swatting off the other students because he's mad Johnny Lawrence came in second. All right? So those are a couple of things where it's just kind of flawed high level. Uh, the other thing, too, is... Where are the police in general? I mean, there was a serious assault minutes away from a high school dance in which five teenagers, six if you count Daniel, I guess, get, you know, get, get their asses kicked. And before that, we have Daniel causing a, a multiple car wreck as he runs away from Johnny and his crew. And then earlier in the movie, the Cobra Kai kids push Daniel down a freaking steep hill on his bike. I know he's pissed off. He, I mean, like the fact that the cops weren't called at any of these points was kind of ridiculous. So those are the things high level where it's flawed. So take that with a grain of salt. So this is just some trivia and goofs. Uh, this is straight from IMDb, things that jumped out to me. So uh, not a ton of goofs, but I'll give you two pieces of good trivia. Now the studio wanted to drop the drunk Miyagi scene. Uh, th- this is the scene where Miyagi is like drinking sake or something. He's trying to get Daniel to drink it with him. And he's showing pictures of his, of his late wife. And uh, she was pregnant and lost her lost her son, or I guess Miyagi's kid, like in the mid-1940s um, through pregnancy. Things were kind of fucked up at that time. But Miyagi was this war hero for America fighting against Japan. And, you know, there was something that actually they, that, that the studio wanted to drop. But the director, uh, John Avildsen, argued for it and felt it was the scene that actually got Pat Morita nominated for the Oscar. So great scene, one of the best scenes in the movie. And the other thing interesting I found was Elizabeth Chu who was one of my first crushes as a kid. She interrupted her studies at Harvard to be part of this movie. We spoke about Harvard earlier. I mean, just hats off to her. There's actually a lot of actors and actresses, more than you would think, that, I, that, that went to Harvard. So very impressive stuff. So those are two good pieces of industry. Uh, two, two good pieces of uh, trivia. So um, coming up next, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a few categories as we continue to break down Karate Kid. All right, that was some of Joe Esposito's song, You're the Best Around, which was originally made for Rocky, ended up being used, just some more trivia, ended up being used for Karate Kid. So we're going to talk about best scenes. Now, best scenes to me, uh, the best scene, there's a lot of good scenes in this movie, um, for sure. You know, I mentioned the Halloween fighting scene, the golf and stuff scene. Uh, I mean, there's so many. There's, there's the wax on, wax off. There's, there's, there's tons to go through. But to me, it's undoubtedly the you're the best montage at the All-Valley Tournament. And um, I'll give a little bit more of a breakdown about this, about this in a second. Um, the most unintentionally funny scene. Now, when Kreese agrees on a moratorium until the tournament where with Miyagi and Daniel. So Cobra Kai can't mess and bully Daniel or hurt him during school after they kicked his ass a few times. Uh, Daniel tries to instigate the Cobra Kai members in school, 
And you have Tommy, one of the Cobra Kai guys, who's like a complete like this like high emotion, like lunatic sociopath. He gets upset and he slams his like books or his trapper keeper down. And as Allie and Daniel are walking away, he says, quote, it must be take a worm for a walk week. I mean, who calls anybody a, a worm as an insult, right? And when, when is the act of walking that, the creature of a worm even a thing? Just this is a ridiculous line. And I don't know if it was improvised, not one of, not one of his best and not something he's going to be remembered for as uh, some kind of witty insult. So that was uh, very unintentionally funny. Uh, there was, as a, I think, a, a runner-up for that. Uh, during the Year of the Best montage, um, there's a tubby Cobra Kai guy who goes up against Vidal. Now, Vidal is a real martial arts actor. He's, he's one of the semifinalists who's not part of Cobra Kai, and he's not Daniel. And he doesn't look like he belongs any... The, the, the guy who... who, who uh, the tubby Cobra Kai guy who Vidal like, kicks his ass... He doesn't look like he belongs anywhere near even a light belt tournament, let alone representing Cobra Kai in the All-Valley Tournament. So to me, those are the two most unintentionally funny scenes. Um, worst acted scene, I think the movie is pretty well acted throughout, but I think the overacting by Allie's dad during the country club scene where Johnny uh, makes a move on Allie, knowing that Daniel's watching through a window in the kitchen, um, he makes Daniel flustered. He crashes into the server, which... Um, it causes uh, this, this raucous laughing by the, the country club members, including Johnny. Johnny, even before he, he turned around, it's like he knew that Daniel ran into some server, which is, which is kind of ridiculous. But I, I mean, even, even, a, even country club members at the stiff L.A. area club in the early 80s would never be this uh, terrible unanimously, just so douchey. And then, you know, so during the scene, Allie hits Johnny and when she's, you know, she's mad at him for laughing, runs off. And then Allie's father looks like she just got, he, you know, she just flashed his golf buddies or something. He's just so appalled and outraged, but it's just complete overacting. I think it's the worst acting scene in the movie um, overall when you factor in everything there. But um, so the, the, I, I gave you the, the most unintentionally funny scene in the runner-up, the worst acted scene, the best character. To me, you know, Johnny Lawrence, you know, Johnny's great. Miyagi's great. Those, those are givens. But to me, it's Dutch, all right? Now Dutch is is one of Johnny's. He's probably he's one he's one of Johnny's um, you know henchmen, so to speak. And in some ways, his level of intensity o- overshadows even Johnny at times. And he's this quintessential bully. You know, he vacillates between this angry, angry guy who's just like a psychopath who you don't want to cross, and then this shit eating, condescending grin throughout the movie. So the best quote by Dutch is when he says, "As before, the All Valley tournament's getting started." Daniel's getting ready the Cobra Kai guys are walking into the room it's Tommy Dutch and Johnny and he says quote well 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 it's our little friend Danielle what's the matter mommy not here to dress you (laughs) and you know obviously like Daniel tries to like you know jump at him and he he says come on come on he gets all like like amped up and then and the referee comes and, and breaks it up so uh, to me, Dutch is the best character. And then Dutch also ends this interaction by saying something like, like, hey, points or no points, you're dead meat. Like, dead meat was such an, an expression from the 80s. You hear, you hear a few things like that in this movie. Like, that's history or your history, dead meat, um, punk. Johnny calls uh, Daniel punk in the, during the beach scene. I mean, these are terms that just nobody's using in vernacular anymore in 2020. Um you know, there's there's other scenes in early on in, in the movie. I mean, this is something that it's just kind of like unbelievable. I don't think this is aged particularly well. 
But when, when the first beach scene, when Johnny, Johnny and his friends, including Dutch, come down on their mopeds, and uh, Johnny and, and, um, and Daniel are about to get in their first confrontation, and, and you have Dutch holding back Allie, like, like bear-hugging her from behind to, to stop her from breaking up the fight. I mean, this is kind of like just inappropriate to put your hands on a woman like that and like grab her and, pre- and prevent her from moving. It's just, I, 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 if the movie came out today, like I know there was a, re, re, a, a redux of this or um, one with like Jaden Smith, but like I, this scene just would not, have, would not have gone over, would not go over well in 2010, let alone 2020. So, um, so, the, so that, uh, that, that's Dutch for you right there. Uh, biggest crush for me is Elizabeth Shue, I mentioned before, 100%. Naturally pretty, curvy, and confident. I'll leave it at that. Um, the I will, would not want to be in an alley with this person award goes to Crease. I mean, the guy's terrifying. Who knows how many people he killed in Vietnam? You know, all these years later, I mean, this, this, this movie takes place 10, 15, 12, seven years later. You know, he's basically like training this, these, these uh, Aryans to like fight, fight karate and, and, and hurt people so, and become, become bullies. So Crease uh, is somebody who I not, would not want to see in an alley. Now, shit that makes no sense. Daniel picking the fight with Johnny when he was rolling a joint in the bathroom. You know, I understand they needed it for the plot advancement, but why would he do that? All right? This is before his karate training. And you mean to tell me Johnny wouldn't notice a hose above him, even though he has his Walkman on, he's rolling a joint? So that's a little ridiculous. And, um, you know, as far as calling, calling bullshit, um, I'm going to call bullshit on, on the character of Bobby Brown. First of all, the contrast between this character in the movie and the former lover of Whitney Houston couldn't be more stark. You know, he's the Cobra Kai guy who has this like flowy, like good head of hair. He's kind of a pretty boy. Uh, and you know, he, he, has, he has this like conscience. He's like always stopping Johnny from doing, trying to stop Johnny or, or whomever involved from like really crossing the line. And that's why I call bullshit on him. He's a bit of a pussy. I call bullshit that he you know, is in this clique with the likes of Johnny and Dutch and Tommy and, and led by Crease, and he's just like a, he's just kind of a tool, you know. He's he fights Daniel during the the like this the the soccer tryouts to get him to to get kicked off the team, and he 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 trips him. He, a really dirty dirty trip, by the way. And when he gets up, he says, "Have a nice trip." I mean, what a, what a cheese ball line that is. And then he's fighting in the karate tournament. He's he's one of the semifinalist people somehow, but I guess some one of the the other contestants pisses him off. And he has to be like held back, even though he probably weighs about a buck fifty as well. Bobby Brown is like the classic like hold me back guy. Like he does this thing with the tournament where he says, "Like your history, man," and then with when uh, once Daniel punches him after he's after the whole have a nice trip line, he basically says, "He's like, hey, I'll tear your face off. Nobody does that to me." But he's just all he's all. Like you know, yeah, I know he he's he's a, he's a karate expert and all, but I mean, I, I just don't buy. I'm not buying his his tough guy shtick. He's a pussy. Not believable at all. The whole character of him is just bullshit. But overall, just a fantastic movie. You know, I started watching Cobra Kai, and I'm about three quarters of the way through season one. And what a series so far. I mean, there's lots to break down. I'll do it more in the future. But now I'm motivated to watch the rest of the series on Netflix and binge watch it. Watch Karate Kid two and three in the coming weeks. But Really quickly on, on Cobra Kai, uh, overall, I find myself rooting hard for early 50s washed-up alcoholic Johnny Lawrence and rooting against Daniel. Um, and Johnny Lawrence is mentoring the bully kids and revives Cobra Kai as a studio. And Miguel, he's the main pro- protagonist, um, 
who Johnny, you know, called an immigrant earlier in the film. You can tell Johnny. Uh, I wonder who Johnny's character support would support in real life as far as presidential candidates. But um, Miguel is a scrawny kid. He's beat up and bullied by this one kid. Kyler a couple times, who's this douchey kid who runs with this fat mess peanut gallery kid along with a few others. Um, and, you know, Miguel is very likable. And there's no love lost between Johnny and Daniel when they are reunited in, in this uh, in this series. Daniel has become a multimillionaire and owner of car dealerships in the L.A. area with his pristine family outside of his fat son, who is a bit of a misfit and seemingly a disappointment. He has a very well-rounded, pretty smart daughter who ends up falling for Miguel. Um, after Kyler starts rumors about her and, and uh, Miguel, um, spoiler alert, um, Miguel kicks Kyler's ass. Um, but you probably could have predicted that anyway. Uh, Miguel is a star pupil um, and, a, you know, and there's this nerdy girl who's chubby and friends with Daniel's daughter, Sam, who is the second best student. I'm, as, I get, as I said, about three quarters of the way through, way, way more to come, season one. Um, really enjoyed and highly recommended already. So coming up, terrible Trump transmission and McEnany's misspeakings. So as I said, this is largely a light episode, but I couldn't pass this up, all right? Now, this bite is from the very beginning of this month, and it features Trump getting interviewed by Laura Ingram, who I cannot fucking stand. You know, the whole architect of shut up and dribble to LeBron James and Kevin Durant who want to speak up against racial injustice. And of course, she spewed her racist double standard, criticizing them, commanding Drew Brees when he made his comments about the flag. Now, she interviewed Trump who continues to paint those who oppose him as some sort of organized terrorist group, Antifa, again, with no leader, no body count, but so dangerous to the safety of Americans. So here's this interview. Have a listen to this completely just batshit thing, batshit part that of, of, uh, of Donald Trump, even for him. And Biden, well, Biden is, I, I don't even like to mention Biden because he's not controlling anything. Who, who do you he think is pulling Biden's strings? Uh, is it former Obama People officials? that you've never heard of. People that are in the dark shadows. People that oh, What are, does that mean? That sounds like conspiracy theory. Dark shadows. No, what is that? People that you haven't heard of. They're, they're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend. And in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're, they're on a plane. Where's the where's this? I'll tell you sometime, but I, I'm, it's under investigation right now. But they came from a certain city, and this person was coming to the Republican National Convention. And there were like seven people on the plane like this person, and then a lot of people were on the plane to do big damage. They were coming Planning from- Planning for Washington. Yeah, this was all, this is all happening. Now, that sounds like something that would be some sort of a parody. Do we, do we believe a lick of this? And of course, when pressed for details, he's just evasive. Ridiculous. And on top of this, we had a headline this week from a top human and health services official accusing career government scientists of plotting against Trump and told Trump supporters to arm themselves ahead of the November election. You know, he goes on to say that, if he, that he predicts if Trump wins, Biden won't accept the results. I mean, how can anybody hear this and think that he is not trying to incite a civil war? You know, I'm no political scientist, but gee, who are the gun nuts? The right wing or the left wing? You know, are the gun nuts the latte drinking housewife from suburban D.C.? Or Billy Joe, who lives in uh, Missouri, like that's where his house is uh, seven miles from, from, from any, any civilization. Who lives with his cousin, uh, uh, Joe Bub? 
I mean, give me a break. But nonetheless, I mean, I think we're really, I mean, and I'll, I'll get to this in later episodes, unless there's a Biden landslide, we can begin for a very dark time between November and January, regardless of the outcome. And, um, you know, now let's get to Kaylee McEnany, who I cannot fucking stand. I really can't stand her. She's become a, a villain and one of my the hated people in, in the public eye uh, for me as of, as of the last, last couple months. Now, when it was exposed that Trump intentionally downpaid, downplayed COVID in a Woodward book captured in a, you know, in a clip back in February, making it hard to deny, she instead offered this ex- explanation. Here's the clip from Kaylee. Now, this, again, satisfies the sheep that still support this moron. You know, if my house was on fire and I had to get my family out, I'm not worried about panic. I'm concerned with getting my wife, kids, and the dog the fuck out as quickly as possible. Otherwise, we'd die. I mean, give me a break. This is also insulting that she offers this as an explanation when he tries to instill fear in in Antifa and the anarchist mobs coming to wreak havoc in your safe, pristine neighborhoods. I mean, such a fucking joke. Now, I've said this recently about Trump supporters. I've evolved from calling them racist, all racist. Um, then I, you know, I eventually said they're either racist or racially tone deaf. So now I think that they fall in, in one of three categories. And Rob Reiner on Twitter said something similar. These categories can overlap. And similar to sexists, these categories are often not self-assigned due to the negative stigma and essence of them. But here are the three. Number one, racists. Number two, ignorant people who are brainwashed, tribal folks, and number three, greedy rich people. That's it. There's no choice D for Trump supporters right now as of mid-September 2020. You know, even like the, the most accepted racists like Richard Spencer just say that they have white pride and use all this coded shit. They don't call themselves racists. So you have to, I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself. Enough de- defending the supporters, and we all have them in our lives. There's some closer than we want to acknowledge so I'm insulting people that are, that are reasonably close to me by saying it too. But I mean, like, enough with defending the Trump supporters. Enough. So, totes next. Tote number one. Senior citizens, and really, let's call this anybody over the age of probably 60, which I know isn't technically a senior citizen, around 65, whenever you start taking Social Security. But senior citizens should have to take a Zoom course before trying to do Zoom. 
All right, I'm going to tell you a story. So last weekend, we went out to my, visit my parents in Long Island. Me, Jen, the kids, the dog, we went out there. And we had dinner with my parents. And um, one of the things that they had planned kind of, I guess, in advance was this, uh, this Zoom video conference with their fellow far lefty Long Island friends that complained about uh, some of the ills of society. And they had this like, literally, they, they had a three hour Zoom, by the way, three hour Zoom, right? I even, had, I, even when I used to do fantasy football, it didn't take three hours. At work, it'd be, it's blasphemy to have a Zoom that's even more than 60 minutes or 90 minutes, let alone three hours. So they have a three-hour Zoom. But the first 30 minutes of this are them trying to figure out how to run, how to run Zoom. Like, not knowing if they're on mute, how do I start the video? I mean, it was just, it was, just it, it was almost like a comedy sketch. It was, what? I can't hear you. Oh, am I on mute? I guess I'm not on mute. You hear, like, heavy breathing in the background. People don't know how to, like... How to how to like go from one computer to the next and like change the host? It's just all kinds of just just a whole comedy of just errors over and over again. And then the cherry on the Sunday was my parents have this this um, this gentleman who they're friends with who's literally over ninety years old. Great guy, I've met him before. Um, former former police police uh, police detective, I believe, or police sergeant. He was a high up guy in the in the police force. African American gentleman from uh, from Long Island. Great guy. This guy has an iPad. I don't know if his kids, his grandkids, somebody got it for him. He's not qualified to use one. He's just not. You know, he like, he didn't know what to do. It's like, you know, my dad's like, oh, well, you FaceTime Denise's phone, my mom. Well, you, you FaceTime her and then I'll be able to walk you through instructions on how to open your, start your video. And he calls the house phone. He calls my parents' house phone. My parents still have a landline they use more than any of their phones. So just... The moral of the story here, I could go on and on. Senior citizens should have to take a Zoom course. They should have a certain amount of hours that they have to take before they're allowed to go through the Zoom. It's just, it's just painful. And I know that would never actually happen. I'm saying that half-heartedly as, as a joke. But, I mean, this is probably an example that happens like in scores or hundreds if not thousands in other parts of the country. So just a note about senior citizens and Zoom. Tote number two. Long Island drivers' insecurities shine like a neon sign when they drive. So I know I grew up on Long Island. I lived there for the first, you know, 17, almost 18 years of my life before college. Came up every break. Lived there for seven months before moving into the city. Then I was no longer a Long Island person, all right? Now I lived in Westchester for the last four and a half years. And a couple of things I've noticed. So when, I was, when we were living in the city and didn't even have a, a car full time... You know, I, I did notice that, you know, even though I, I would still drive and practice driving and be in taxis and, you know, I would still like rent cars and go different places. When you have to drive in New York City, it really, you really like, like it kicks up your ability to, and your, your driving ability. It's just, just a chaotic city and frenetic. So naturally it's like practicing in a really tough driving environment. Going to the suburbs, the driving is just worse. Going to Long Island, it's bad. It's, it's just as worse as, as Westchester or any of the other surrounding counties and, and suburbs of New York City. But there's just massive insecurity in Long Island. There's just massive insecurity. The whole, yo, I'm from Strong Island, dude. Like, it's just the, the little brother of, of, of counties, of suburbs, right? And, and, it's, and as I always said, driving, the way people drive is a mirror into their insecurities and who they are as a person. But these drivers are just maniacs, just weaving in and out of lanes for no reason, going 20, 25 miles over the speed limit for no reason, no blinker. 
unnecessary acceleration, unnecessary speed. As I said, it's just the insecure little brother of the New York metro area, and uh, there's this irrational arrogance that shines through in driving. So the, the, the tote is Long Island drivers, this is, this is probably a lukewarm take, their insecurities shine like a neon sign when they drive. Tote number three. Cable companies are lackluster and horrendous. I don't care who they are. Spectrum, Optimum, DirecTV, Verizon, they all fucking suck, all right? I called Optimum to set up cable because we're moving into our house in a couple weeks. It was an hour-long call. Hour-long call. The, the, the woman claimed to be at a call center somewhere in the U.S., even though I'm 90% sure it was somewhere overseas. And every five seconds, oh, I'm so sorry, the system is, sl- is slow. Really? I mean, you're a utility company, you know? What leg of Fiverr are we waiting on? You know, it, it, it's ridiculous. It's like all this stuff. It's like, I'm like, what are we trying to do here? I'm just trying to set up a freaking cable appointment. And I picked my, my show package. It seems like we have an appointment. We have a time. We know the services. What's taking so long? Literally hour plus call. And then she told me the window of time in which the technician was coming, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. When I pressed her on it, oh, no, that's, it's, no, it's 10, p.m. To 8, 8, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Well, can you have a more refined window? No, I can't. It's, you know, yeah, I have a window for you. It's 10 p.m., 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Really? 10 fucking hour window? I mean, it's ridiculous. And then the question, when would you like an effective billing date? All right? I told her we move on, on September 28th, which happens to be my birthday. So she asked when we want to have an effective billing date. How about 928, lady? And then, she, and then this, is, this is the capper. Tells me it's $150 all in everything with tax. The bill comes out. It gets mailed a, a day or two later. How much is it? $230. Over 50% more. And I call back. Get through, I don't know, get transferred to like six or seven different people. And eventually the guy, I don't know, like there must be some kind of algorithm. If you call a few times, you actually get somebody who's like a local person. He sounded like he was like born and raised in New York City. But he was, he was definitely the most competent person I dealt with. And he's, after all this stuff, he's talking to the sales department, he's applying discounts, he offers me the same fucking price. Same price. So I'm just infuriated. I'm going to call Verizon tomorrow because what we're paying for cable, it's, it's just absurd. And I need it for the sports. I can't do this whole, all the whole streaming stuff. It's just not enough for me. I like DVR. We watch all these channels. Jen and I like to watch the Golden Girls to unwind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, okay? Like, yeah, make, make, fun, make fun of us, but... I've got to figure out a solution because $230 is absurd. And that's going to step up after these freaking discounts expire. So my whole, the tote here is cable companies across the board are horrendous. Tote number four. I'm not a fan of 90% of pickup drivers, right? General rule is when I see a pickup driver, I assume Trump supporter. I'd be curious if there was some kind of a study done. But generally speaking... There's a few, you, you know, construction guys that just drive it. It's a rugged car. There's definitely some Latin, um, you know, people that I know that are in the area that drive it. But I'd say 90% of the people that are driving pickup trucks are douchebags. They have these loud engines. They're overcompensating for stuff. You got these American flags, these Blue Lives flags hanging from them. You got the Trump pen signs, the Cuomo suck signs. You know, I've seen all this stuff on pickup trucks and I can't stand them. And they're always the same guy who revs up their engine as they're going, you know, down a half a block in a residential neighborhood. 
They, they also probably, their second car is this like loud muffler Honda Accord or some other fucking car, a Dodge that they think is cool. All right? These guys are overcompensating for something else. Pickup drivers. I don't like them. I know that's, that's not tolerant. It's judgmental. But I'd say 90%, 9 out of 10 at best, if not more, if not a higher percentage, I don't like them. Fuck them. Fucking pickups. Not into them. Watch, I'm going to own one one day. Karma. Thanks for listening to the Chris Hamm Podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate and review me. And finally, please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback are incredibly valuable. Tell your friends, family, colleagues, spread the word. Take it easy, friends.